the people in Thessalonica were afraid that they had missed the Lord's return. And the reason for that, there were some false teachers, obviously, that had been teaching things that uh, caused them to think that. And if you look at the first chapter, you can see where Paul describes the Lord's return. And then in chapter 2, he starts to address uh, their concerns. Uh, there, are, there may be times in our own lives that uh, we have uh, uncertainty. And, and, and certainly with the Thessalonian brethren, they were uncertain about their salvation. Because I'm sure they thought that if the Lord had returned and they missed Him, then they weren't prepared. And I would imagine that there are times in all of our lives where we may doubt our salvation. Where someone may say to you, if you died right now, would you know without any doubt that you're going to heaven? And there may be times where you're not sure. And sometimes people look at that and they will say, well, then if you're not sure of your salvation, then you're not a Christian. And I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. I believe that there are times that we may doubt, but I also believe that the Bible tells us that we can be sure of our salvation. But there are times that we, we, we struggle with that. And just because someone doesn't say, yes, I'm going to heaven and I know it, doesn't mean that uh, you should question their salvation. Paul didn't do that. Paul instead made sure that they understood what was important. It wasn't that they felt that they were saved, but what was important is that they obeyed the truth. And that is what's important for us today, to know that we need to obey the truth. Feelings don't matter. There are a lot of people, I'm sure, that are going to be shocked on the day of judgment who felt that they were saved. They thought that they did what they wanted to do and it was okay. When in fact, when they seen what the Bible said, they rejected what it taught. Last Sunday, we looked at the Gospel. That Jesus was uh, died on the cross, that He was laid in a tomb, and that He rose victorious over the grave. And we showed how that is in compared to when we obey the Gospel, that the old man of sin, our, our sinful way, we crucify that, and we go down in that tomb of a water, and we come up out of that water a new creature. So we reenact the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many denominations that are out there that say you don't need to be baptized in order to be saved. But Jesus plainly tells us what we need to do. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's pretty simple. And we're going to stand on a judgment day facing Christ, knowing that we're going to be judged by His words. And we have a choice in this life where we can accept those words or we can reject them. We have that choice. But Paul told them what was most important, and that is their attitude toward the truth. If you look at 1 Thessal or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, it tells us there about those that are going to be condemned. It says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. There are people that hear the truth and maybe you're one of them because sometimes in the church we have people that know what the Bible says, they listen to what the Bible says, but yet they reject certain parts. It's kind of like going down the buffet line. You know, I want a little bit of this and I want a little bit of this, but I don't want that and I don't want that. That's not good. I don't want that. And so that's the way we look at the Bible sometimes. 
And it's not just the gospel that we need to be obedient to. We need to look at the Bible and accept what it says and question ourselves. Do we truly have the love of the truth? And that's what Paul is addressing here with the Thessalonians. That they needed to know that the love of the truth is what was important. Because he contrasts that with uh, verse 13. Look at what it says in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, beloved uh, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. We are set apart because God had a plan for our redemption. God had a plan that man could be saved, and that plan was from the foundations of the earth. Before this world came into existence, God had a plan that His Son would come and die on the cross so that you and I could be saved. And so when He says you're chosen, when you accept that plan and you're obedient to that plan, then you're chosen. And when you obey the Gospel... We're sanctified. We're set apart. We're, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We're added to the Lord's church. All of those things take place when we obey the gospel. And when we obey the gospel, then there should be a change in our lives to where we want to be faithful. But look at what it says there. They didn't have a love for the truth. And those that are sanctified have a love for the truth. They believe the truth. And that is very important. What I think, what I feel doesn't matter. What God's Word says is what matters. And it was their belief in the truth that saved them. And their feelings of savedness didn't matter. It didn't, it, that's not what saved them. We could feel saved, but if we're not doing what the Lord's told us to do, and we could be in a lost condition. And so those who were loved by God were those who believed and obeyed the truth. Those who were perishing would do so because they refused to love and obey the truth. That was the dividing line, and that is still the dividing line today. Those who love the truth and want to obey it versus those who may know the truth and have heard the truth but reject it. Which side are you on? Which, which category do you fall into? That was the dividing line between those accepted by and those that were rejected by, by God. K.J. read for us there the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. And in there, there are some things that people may have questions about. And they want to know who that man of sin is. And so I want to address who that man of sin might be. Uh, we don't know. Nobody knows for sure who it is. Because this is the only passage of Scripture that talks about it. Paul doesn't reference it anywhere else. But the point that he's trying to make is that the Lord had not, had not returned at that point. And so there are some who want to associate that with the, uh, a Roman conqueror called Titus who conquered Jerusalem and went into the temple and acted as a god and was referred to as a god when he became emperor. And still there are others who consider the line of popes or the Catholic Church as that man of sin, uh, the, the son of perdition, and the uh, attitude that they have that they represent God here on this earth. And then there are others who taught that there's a future tyrant that's coming that's going to enter the temple someday and he's going to do certain things and call himself divine. And that's what some people believe that it is. And they use other passages of Scripture to state that. 
the fact of the matter is all of those may be true any one of those may be true but I don't know who the son of perdition is the scripture doesn't tell us now I know which way I lean but Paul neither cites other scriptures to identify this son of perdition nor in this passage does he quote anywhere neither is this passage quoted any other place in the scriptures so why does Paul point this out why does he mention this individual or whatever it may be Paul wants them to focus on their salvation he wants them to focus on the fact that the Lord hasn't returned yet and he's using this to say listen this has to take place before the Lord's return. And that's really His purpose. Because they were concerned that the Lord had returned and they missed it. Well, they hadn't missed it. And so Paul is saying, this has to take place. This son of perdition, this man of sin, has to come forward before the Lord's return. And so he only used that information to assure the Thessalonians that Jesus hadn't come yet. And so sometimes we can get distracted by the main purpose or point of the chapter or the letter that Paul is writing. And so the Thessalonians that Paul was addressing were Christians who had their faith shaken by false teachers who built their teachings around their own personal theories of the second coming of Christ. And Paul wanted to encourage and assure the Thessalonian brethren of their salvation. And so he starts out by describing why people would perish when the Lord returns. So who are those that are condemned? It's interesting that those who would be condemned were going to, be, to perish because they refused to love the truth. It's easy to say we love God's Word. It's easy to say we love what Jesus teaches. It's easy to tell people how wonderful it is. But what about our actions? Our actions show sometimes something different. And Paul is saying those that do not love the truth are the ones that are going to perish. They're going to be lost. Because they had made a decision about Jesus. They had made a decision about what He taught. And there are times in our lives where we see what He taught us and we may reject it and it's like going down that buffet line. I like this one. I don't like that. I like this, but I don't like that. I'll listen to Him over here, but I don't want to listen to Him over there. And so we need to be on guard. that We love the, the, the truth no matter what. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 it tells us that when, the, when, when God comes again, that no one will have an excuse because for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, but God has showed it unto them. What does that verse mean? It's telling us, verse 18 is telling us, that there are some people who know the truth. But yet they want to go on living an ungodly or wicked life. They know what the Bible teaches. They know what they're supposed to do. But yet they just go ahead and continue to live a wicked, unrighteous life. 
and those are going to be per- uh, those that are those are going to perish on the day of judgment. They're going to be lost. Those that do that. And so again, if you love the truth, you're not going to listen to it and then reject it. You're going to listen to it and you're going to obey it. Jesus talks about the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man heard and and did. He built his house in the right way. The foolish man heard, but he didn't do. He built it his own way. The Bible says that when the rains came and the floods came and the rain descended upon that house and the winds blew, it collapsed and it fell. And great was the fall of it. That's what I mean on the day of judgment. That a lot of people are going to be surprised. They're going to be shocked to find out that they were lost because they followed their own way as opposed to following God's way. Do you have a love for the truth? Apparently, in everyone's life, there comes a point when a decision is made. And in that decision, they either decide uh, for the things that please God, which would be righteousness and holiness, or they choose to de- or they decide to choose those things for that will bring pleasure and security. Which one are you following? And when that time comes, there are people who will create barriers between themselves and the truth. Because the truth isn't what they want to hear. If you ever tried to talk to someone that may be in a situation that they shouldn't be, doing something that they shouldn't do, in a sinful way, they're doing something, and you want to show them what they need to hear, you want to show them in God's Word why they need to repent, why they need to change, and what do they do? You see a barrier goes up. They don't want to hear you. I don't believe that that's what Jesus is talking about. I don't think that's, that's right. I, I got my own opinion. You have yours, I have mine. Well, what have they done? They put up a barrier to the truth. Because many times you can see very plainly that your action may be sinful, but yet you reject God's Word. You see, many people, for many people, the truth is what they want to hear. Not what God's Word says. It's what they want to hear. You see, some people don't want to hear that you need to be buried in water and come up out of that water in order to be saved. Some people want to say, well, just pray this prayer. Say this after me. The Bible doesn't say that. Again, Jesus makes it very plain what we need to do if we want to be a a, a Christian. And then we can see in the rest of the New Testament what is expected out of us as we live that Christian life. And so we have a choice. But sometimes when we look at what God's Word says, it's hard. We've got to make changes. We may have to give up some friends. We might even have to switch jobs. No, we don't want to do that. I want to make money. I want to have friends. Well, you know what? I want to go to heaven. And I hope that that's what you want to do. And sometimes we have to give up those things in order to get there. That's what's important. It's not what you want. It's about God and what He wants. And so we need to understand that. You see, when that time comes, there will be people who will choose pleasure and security over the truth of God's Word. 
it's kind of like the four-year-old boy who went into the woods to select a Christmas tree. He hiked all over that woods with his grandfather. They'd come up to a tree and he'd say, is this the one you want? And the little four-year-old said, no, no, no. And they kept walking and they walked and they walked and they looked at tree after tree after tree and then finally it started to get cold and it started to get dark. And the grandfather looked at the four-year-old boy and he said, listen, the next tree we come to is the tree that we're going to take. And a little four-year-old boy looked up at his grandfather and he said, even if it doesn't have lights on it? You see, he had his way of thinking about what a Christmas tree was supposed to be. And, and as long as he thought like that, there was no tree in that woods that was going to satisfy his desire. And that's the way we are sometimes. We want what we want, and we won't settle for anything else. We don't want God's Word. And that little boy had his ideal, and as long as he looked for such a tree, he wasn't going to, to uh, accept anything else. When people make a decision to refuse to love the truth, they open themselves up for deception and delusion. They will accept a false, falsehood and a half-truth. And that's really part of the problem in the denominational world. Because many times you hear people that use some scriptures, but they don't consider the other scriptures that go along with it. I've always been amazed when I talk to someone and they'll tell me all I have to do is believe. Believe in my heart and that's all. That's all the jailer had to do. Well, then I say, well, do I need to repent? Well, of course you have to repent. Well, why do I need to repent? Because this passage over here says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So you need to repent. Well, do I have to make a confession? Well, yeah. Well, I thought all I had to do was believe. Well, yes, but you also have to make that confession. Well, why do I have to make that confession? Well, there's a passage of Scripture in Romans 10 that tells me I have to. And Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 10 that I needed to. So I have to believe and repent and confess. Well, what about baptism? Do I need to be baptized? Well, no, you don't need to do that. Well, there's other Scriptures that say you need to be baptized. Well, you don't need to do that. Why is it some of the verses are important and others are not? Jesus made it very plain what we need to do in order to be saved. And sometimes when you hear a partial truth, yeah, the Bible does say he that believeth, that, uh, you know, belief is important. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible teaches us. That in belief also involves obedience. That it's not just enough to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus exists. When I believe Jesus, I'm believing His teachings. I'm believing what He says. And it's not just some of His words. It's everything that He teaches us. And so all of that is important. And we open ourselves up. It's sort of like a package. You know, you might see a nicely wrapped package. 
you go to grandma's house, maybe there's a, a, a under the Christmas tree, or maybe it's your birthday, and there's a package there wrapped up. It's got a pretty bow on it, all nice and neat paper. And grandma says, don't touch that box. And you sneak over after she's not looking, and you open that box, and you find there's nothing in it. You thought sure that that beautifully wrapped box had something in it that was valuable or something that you would want and you open it up and it's just a box. It was just there for decoration. Well, guess what? That's the way it is sometimes with what people say, with what people teach, with what people want to believe. There's nothing in it. If you don't love the truth of God's Word, then you don't have the hope of salvation. You say, well, that's hard to say. No, it's not hard to say because that's what the Bible teaches us. We have to love the truth. And if we don't love God's Word, it's like having that empty package. And on the Day of Judgment, when you get there and you're surprised, don't be surprised because the truth is what saves us. The truth is what we need to be obedient to. And don't open that package that's empty. Because the Lord has given us plenty of packages that have something of substance in it that will save our soul if we will obey it when, he, when we open it. You see, Pilate, I think, is a good example of what I'm talking about. You see, he was willing to do whatever was necessary to maintain his power in Jerusalem. He even crucified Christ when he knew that Jesus was guilty of absolutely nothing. He had done nothing wrong. And when confronted by the righteousness of Jesus, Pilate says something that's very revealing. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, it says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Isn't that amazing what Jesus is saying? He's saying that He's truth. And if you listen to His voice, you're going to hear the truth. Are we listening to His voice? Are we listening to His Word? And then Pilate asks a question, what is truth? Paul didn't, or, uh, Pilate didn't care about the truth. In fact, long before this occasion, he had decided that there, were, there are no absolute truths. That there's no ultimate truth. And you hear that today in our society. There's no absolute truth. There, you just can't know the truth. Well, Jesus says we can know the truth. And Jesus represented the truth. He was the truth. Well, Pilate says, what is truth? And so he refused to accept that Jesus knew anything absolute about truth. But Pilate's question is a good question. It's a good one. What is truth? And Jesus tells us that the Bible is truth. In John chapter 17 and verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's Word tells us what we need to know. It may not tell you what you want to hear because there are times that our life isn't aligned with the Bible and therefore we need to make changes and sometimes that's very uncomfortable. 
As I said, when we look at the Bible and we see how we're living, it might mean that we have to give up friends, that we might have to give up a job, that we might not be able to do everything that we want to do. But our goal is to serve God. And so if the Bible is truth, then it's an important book. And see, if you want a book that gives you guidance and comfort for your soul, then turn to the Bible. If you want a book that will reveal, reveal your inner weaknesses and help you to be a better person, then look at the Bible. If you want a book to know, that, know God's will for your life, how He wants you to live your life, then look at the Bible. God's Word is truth. And that's what sets us apart when we obey that truth. Don't open that empty package. Open the truth of God's Word because there's something in it for all of us. We just have to accept it. You see, the Bible is the truth only because it tells us the source of all truth. Repeatedly, Jesus told His disciples, I tell you the truth. Multiple times Jesus says that. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, we find there a passage of Scripture that Jesus has come. He came in the flesh. And He came full of grace and truth. Again, He came and dwelt among men. And the life that He lived was based upon the truth. We see the truth in His life. He represented the truth. He taught the truth. He prayed that we would accept the truth. Jesus is truth. And we need to love that. Love Him. <clears throat> love His Word if we want to be assured of salvation. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus told His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. There are a lot of people out there that don't want to hear that. I've heard politicians and other religious leaders that say there's multiple ways to get to heaven. Jesus says there's only one way, and that's through Him. That's why it's important to follow Him. Why? Because He's the truth. He's the truth. Now, what does that say about everything else that people want to follow? Any other way to get to heaven? It's a falsehood. It's an empty box. It may look good. It may sound good. But it's not the truth. It's empty. Jesus is the truth. And we need to love Him and His Word to be assured of our salvation. <clears throat> One last point that's kind of troubling when you read this chapter. And it's found beginning in verse 11 where it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul tells us that we need to love the truth. And then he goes on to tell us that God's going to send a strong delusion for those who do not love the truth. Who sends that strong delusion? 
God sends that strong delusion. That's what the Scripture says. And there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with that statement in the Bible. How could God do that? I don't think that is too hard to understand. You either love the truth or you despise the truth. You don't like the truth. You can't be in the middle somewhere. You know, we always like to have a middle ground. Either you love God's Word or you don't. And if you love God's Word, guess what? If you have a hunger for God's Word, you're going to feast upon that Word. And I believe deep down in my heart that if someone is searching for the truth, honestly searching for the truth, that God's going to make sure that they hear that truth, that it's available to them. Through His providence, in some way, He's going to get the truth to that individual. But on the same hand, those that don't love the truth, God's going to allow them to believe whatever they want to believe. We're all free moral agents. We have a choice. And that's the choice that He made in the beginning when He created us, that we have a choice. He didn't set us down here and wind us up as little robots and say, you're going to do everything that I say. He's given us a choice. And those that want to hear the truth, it's available. Those who want to reject the truth, the truth's still available. But they've chosen something else. And God's going to allow it to happen going to allow them to believe a falsehood. He's going to let them open that package that has nothing in it. Because that's the choice that they've made. And that's what we need to understand, that we have a choice. They wanted a falsehood, and God will give them that falsehood. <clears throat> but ultimately, when the day of judgment comes, no one will have an excuse. For God will have given them and everyone else the ability to hear the truth and be obedient to it. My question this morning is, how do you want to face the judgment day? Will it be as someone who has refused to love the truth? Or will it be as someone who has believed and embraced the truth? You see, we allow so many other things to creep in to this situation of truth. Sometimes we see the truth of God's Word and we understand it. But we had a grandma, a grandpa, a mom, a dad, a brother, another family member who didn't obey what the Bible says very plainly. And we think that if we accept the truth that we're condemning them. When the judgment day comes... Here's what's going to matter. Your relationship with God. Not my mom and dad's relationship with God. They're going to answer for their own relationship. Not grandma and grandpa's relationship. It's my relationship. Your relationship that you're going to answer for. Your relationship. I'm going to answer for me. You're going to answer for you. And the question is, do you love the truth? Do you love the truth enough to follow it? No matter what people may say, do you love the Lord? This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.